Welcome to the Building Resilience Podcast, where we learn all about building resilience in ourselves and helping others build it too. We draw from the principles of positive psychology, neuroscience, and coaching to help you face change and adversity and do more than just survive. We want you to thrive. We are your hosts, Heather Stables and Leah Davidson, and we are certified life coaches and speech language pathologists. We will help you manage your mind, your emotions, deal with your stress and your overwhelm, and become the very best version of yourself, version 2.0. Let's get started. This is the Building Resilience Podcast, episode 35, Thinking Traps, part two, with your hosts, Heather Stables and Leah Davidson. Hello, 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 resilience friends. How's everybody doing? Good. (laughs) (laughs) The voice of Heather does the collective good. We're all doing good. That's awesome. Well, today we are doing part two of Thinking Traps, or technically, I guess it's kind of part three since we devoted a whole episode on all or nothing thinking. And these are episodes on thinking traps or cognitive distortions, as psychologists like to call them. We prefer thinking traps. And last week, we talked about six different thinking traps. And today, we're going to introduce you to some more. Shall we just jump right in? I think so. Why not? All right. This next one is a personal favorite of mine. As you know, I've got a lot of favorites, but I'm getting better as my shine my light on it. I have also noticed, though, that not only is it a personal favorite of mine, it's actually a personal favorite of my entire families. (laughs) So I'm not sure if I've shared in this podcast or not, but our family actually has three last names. And I have one last name, my two sons have their dad's last name, and my husband and his three kids have his last name. And they have the initials of CDF when we put all our three family names together. And when the kids were younger, we sort of created this identity as a CDF family. We decided that the C, the D, and the F would each mean something, not just the names of our last name, but it would each be like a value that stood for what our family was. So C, the C in CDF, stood for charity. However, I kind of think over the years, we can now say that the C stands for catastrophic thinkers, because (laughs) that is a thinking trap that I think dominates the CDF family. We are very quick to catastrophize things. I'll let you talk more about it, Heather, but I just wanted to share that the CDF family were catastrophizers. (laughs) Let me introduce this to you or for you, and then you can continue. So catastrophic thinking, you can identify it as falling down a rabbit hole, spiraling out of control, getting to doomsday or snowballing. It is simply taking a thought and getting on a runway train with it that will eventually crash. That's right, because all runaway trains crash. So it can start as something as simple as, not that this is an example that I know about, but my child is having a hard time with grade one science. And it ends up all the way to, they will end up homeless and unemployed (laughs) because they won't be able to get a job because they will have failed out of school. (laughs) So basically one negative thought and it will lead to a disastrous outcome. Now, the tendency to catastrophize is important to pay attention to because it can be the result and or the cause of anxiety. So we all catastrophize to some degree, but you want to get good at catching yourself with it and reminding yourself that it actually is just a thought and it's a completely optional thought. It's completely optional what we do with that thought. So that's why we want to catch it. Okay, so... 
if you ever find yourself heading down this path, I like to ask myself, what else is true? As that tends to bring me back to the present and then I can choose a different route to go. I can find other thoughts to explore that will lead me to calmer waters. So, do you catastrophize? And what are some of your examples? Yes, everybody think, pause and think about that one because I'm sure you do it as well. Now, another thing that's helpful for me for this trap uh, when I'm entertaining these catastrophic thoughts is going to the worst case scenario. And this kind of seems counterintuitive, but I go to the worst case scenario and then I ask myself, okay, what would you do? And when you do this, your brain goes on a mission to figure out what it would do. And we often see that we're stronger and more resilient. And while we may not like the options, we see that, okay, I could totally handle this. So I encourage you to play with things like, okay, what is the worst case scenario? And then I often go and look at the best case scenario to balance things out. So you want to build on those because it's really the worst case scenario is just as likely as the best case scenario. I then like to settle and ask myself, okay, what's the most likely scenario? And that's where I'm going to focus on and that's when I'm going to spend my time because that's where the high chance of happening is somewhere in between the worst and the best case scenario. I can see you laughing at me, Heather. I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing at an example that I thought of about how a situation I catastrophized and it's so good. So All right, as, share it. as you know, my beagle Bella, I take her mm-hmm. to the beach. It's an off-leash dog park. She disappeared. It was like a long time and someone was like yelling at me from across the beach and I found her under a boulder with her head stuck under the boulder, but the rest of her body like lifeless, like oh on the other, gosh. like exposed. Right, the head was under in a hole under the boulder. The rest of her body was exposed, and I said to my partner, I started to panic, and I said to my partner at the time, I was like, "Bella's dead." (laughs) (laughs) He started laughing, and I'm like, "Don't laugh, she's dead." Anyway, her collar it got stuck on something under the boulder, so you know all he had to do was like wiggle it one second, and then she was completely you know free. But my mind went to Mm -hmm. worst case scenario from zero to. 100 real quick oh yeah dead for sure. Bella's dead for sure. that's it yeah that's right. I Catastrophizing, it's a big one and a lot of people do. But it's one that we can rein in. And worst case, best case, most likely case, very helpful to rein that one in. That would have been helpful to know that all that time ago. <laughs> you would have stood there instead of helping her. Okay, the worst case scenario is yeah. Bella's death. The best case scenario. <laughs> is she stuck? Oh. Okay. Thinking trap number two. Now this one is overgeneralizing and it's a very common thinking trap. Essentially, we predict the outcome of something based on one instance of it. It can be internally driven. I'm never going to get a job or externally driven. You're always late. Now, Why is this a problem? This pattern of negative thinking is usually inaccurate and very limiting. It can also become a self-fulfilling prophecy in that if you believe that you cannot find a job, you might stop looking for one altogether. That way, your prediction would actually turn out to be true. And when you catch yourself using words like always and everything and never, stop and ask yourself what evidence do you have for that prediction? Is it based on a lot of relevant data or just one to two points? That's right. Now, the next thinking trap is emotional reasoning. And this is where you draw conclusions, usually inaccurate ones, based on your emotional state. So it's kind of like your emotional truth, despite 
having evidence to prove it or prove otherwise. So it's kind of saying, if I feel this way, it must be true. My gut says that they're hiding something, so it must be true. Now, why is this thinking a problem? Because sometimes when we do have the gut, it is true. But we need to be careful because when our emotions take over, they can interfere with rational and logical thinking. And it can also lead us to feelings of fear and anxiety and apprehension in very stressful situations. So I think it's Tony Robbins who was the person who said, like, when emotions are high, intelligence is low. So often when our emotions get involved, we enter into a state of being a lot more stressed and we much more stressed than we know when we're in the stress response cycle, we cannot access our thinking skills. Mm -hmm. So we, we need to be aware of that. Every time we have heightened emotions, not the best time to be thinking that we're accurately thinking. Bella's dead. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, the next one is personalizing. And this is to reflect a tendency to attribute problems to one's own doing. Basically, you're making it all about you. You may only see internal causes of the problem and systematically ignore external things. And this can also be all about self-blame. You believe that everything that people say or do is some type of reflection or reaction to something you said or did. So you end up taking things really personally and it has nothing to do with you. Yeah. So it's kind of like that example that we've given before the wave test. So if you wave, you see a friend across the street and you wave at them and they don't wave back. What do you think? Well, when people personalize, they automatically make it like, oh no, I must have done something wrong. So that's an example of personalizing. I remember years ago, an example of personalizing with me, I had a friend that I had reached out to and multiple times I wasn't able to reach her. So in my mind, I was like, what's going on? What did I do wrong? And then it got to the point where I was thinking like, oh, she obviously doesn't care about me. And I eventually spoke with her. I remember having this conversation with her and saying like, I was really ticked off. Like, why didn't you call me back? And what was wrong? And she said to me, I love her dearly. And she was really blunt. She was like, I'm not sure why you had to make it about you. I'm actually going through a really tough time. She had just broken up with her husband. I remember thinking like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that. That has been an example in my mind for years about being careful not to personalize. So when I see something, somebody says something to me, somebody does something, they don't respond or they do respond snarkily. I am pretty good now at giving some space and thinking first, okay, firstly, it might not be about me. It's likely not about me. I wonder what's going on for them. And coming from that place of charity, compassion, I hope they're okay kind of thing. Okay, the next one, externalizing. It's the flip side of personalizing. It's where you make everything about the other person. So with personalizing, you feel you're responsible for everything. And with externalizing, you blame others for everything. The problems are rarely your fault. It's not my fault. That's right. This one is really focused on blame. You automatically attribute the cause of an event or circumstance to someone else or something else. It's the typical, not me, I didn't do it. You take no responsibility for a problem, so you pass the buck. 
So both of these, the personalization and the externalization, they clearly are the extremes from each other. So one is always blaming yourself and the other is always blaming others. I do want to point out here, it's really about blaming. We're not talking about taking responsibility because taking full responsibility for something is different. We'll probably devote another podcast to that because I'm reading a fascinating book about it. And of course, I'll want to share that about taking 100% responsibility, but that's very different than the whole blaming thing. Okay. Filtering is the next thinking trap. And this is almost like what we talked about with mindset. You put on a certain lens or a certain filter, and then you see the world through the filter. If it's a yellow one, then the world is yellow. Blue, then it's blue. Other people put a negativity filter on, so they filter and only pay attention to the negative aspects of a situation while ignoring all the positives. You only focus on the negatives, and guess what? Your brain just believes that everything is negative. You can sometimes see it happening. Once a filter is in place, then everything goes that way. And this is why we advocate for equal air time. We need to be trying to take a more balanced view. That's right. Now, the next one is labeling. And this is kind of like generalization, but it's taken to an extreme. So basically, you attach a whole big negative label about yourself or someone else rather than just thinking about it as a single event or mistake. And I think of the example of using the label of failure. So we might have failed at like one thing or in one area, or we've made one mistake, and then we just label ourselves as like a loser or a complete failure. So it's very, very stream based on one incident. Okay, this is my favorite. I always tell my clients that I abandoned the word should a long time ago. Should statements. This can be considered a massive thinking trap. All things should, shouldn't, ought to. How many times do you use should, shouldn't, or ought to statements in reference to yourself or others? If it's internally driven, it could sound like, I should go to bed now. I should exercise. I should do the dishes. I should call my mom. However, what you're really telling yourself is that I should be doing or being more than I actually am. And what this results in is feelings of inadequacy. If it's externally driven, such as you should exercise, you should go to bed, you should tidy up, you're really saying to the other person, you know, an adult, I don't respect your ability to make decisions for yourself. Should-based statements are damaging to relationships with others and self because they really reject reality. A healthier alternative includes focusing on exploring reality with a curious lens. So instead of saying, you should go to bed now, you could say, okay, I'm wanting to stay up later than I normally do. I wonder why that's happening now. That way you accept and embrace reality. So how often does this thought error enter your mind? Another couple of strategies you could use is substituting, I choose to go to bed. I'm deciding to go to bed. I want to go to bed. I'm learning how to go to bed. Stay up. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. And we'll get to more of these ways that we can debunk all these thinking traps in a few minutes, but those are some good ones when you're busy shitting on yourself. Yeah, that's right. We often say, don't shit on yourself. The other trap that is sort of a statement that goes along the same line is the must or the have to statements. These are statements that strip us of the freedom to choose. Like, I have to do the dishes. I must call my father. The truth is, if you're an adult, you have the agency to choose whatever you want to do. So technically, you don't have to do anything. You could choose to not do the dishes. You could choose to not call your father to not go to work, 
to not pay your bills. You actually choose to do these things because doing them outweighs the consequences of not doing them. So in a sense, you get to do them. An even stronger option you can play around with is the idea of you want to do them. Because when you use the words like I get to do this or I want to do this instead of I must or I have to, it really shifts your attitude. It shifts it to one of more gratitude and choice rather than victimhood and obligation. And so we really want to free ourselves from that. This one I know is a tough one for people when they say, you know, I have to do this. And if we offer that, well, you don't really have to do anything. Most people give a lot of pushback on it. And I usually remind them, I'm not saying you want to do it. I'm not saying that there are no consequences to doing it. There are consequences to it. But when you put yourself in the position of feeling like you're a victim, it's very disempowering rather than I'm choosing to do this because that's who I want to be. It's so much more powerful. So it's a thinking trap that our brain can get really stuck in if we're sort of thinking, oh, I have to do this and I must do that. Okay, the next one is projection. And Martha Beck says about this one, spot it, you got it. Okay, my friend is lazy, willful, and self-absorbed. Wait, could that actually be me I'm talking about? (laughs) I was going to say when you said my friend, I'm like, uh, are you referring to me? (laughs) (laughs) Martha Beck, she says that we can learn about ourselves from the funny little phenomenon called projection. So projection is a defense mechanism in which you unconsciously take undesired emotions or traits you don't like about yourself and attribute them to someone else. A good example is a cheating spouse who suspects her partner is being unfaithful. Hence, spot it, you got it. How you judge or perceive others is really just a reflection, an unconscious one, albeit, of how you judge and perceive yourself. It's hypocritical. And you can imagine how damaging projection is in relationships. So Martha Beck also suggests an alternative, see it and free it. She suggests writing your rant, write down all of your judgmental thoughts about a certain person. Do not censor them. And here are some prompts to get you started. What is offending you? What do you hate about them? What do they do? What do they need to change? For example, she's so selfish. She always wants to get her own way. I can't stand her. Then she suggests changing places with the other person in the scenario to put yourself in their place. Does the shoe fit? Could you also want to get your own way? Could you exhibit those same behaviors? That could explain why it bugs you so much. So where are you at? Where are you at with all these things, Heather? Which ones do you resonate with? Mm, Definitely personalizing, overgeneralizing, and catastrophic thinking, as we all know about my example. Yeah. We're all cats. We're a cat, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. That's a funny joke in speech pathology world, which if you're not a speech pathologist living in Ontario, you won't get that joke, but it was a pretty funny one. Um, so in the... <laughs> Actually, we have quite a few clients of ours who do listen to this podcast, so they might find it funny that we're all cat. That was a little side note, but getting back on track to the podcast in the book, The Building Resilience Factor, which is where a lot of these thinking traps are, some of them are explored, but Karen Rybeck and Andrew Chate, they give some suggestions of questions that you can ask 
ask to help yourself get out of the thinking traps. So I just wanted to share with you a few of these. For example, if you tend to find yourself jumping to conclusions, your goal is really to slow down. You need to ask yourself, okay, what evidence do I have that I'm basing my conclusions on? And are you certain or are you guessing? Now, another question you can ask or questions is when you find yourself in tunnel vision, you actually need to refocus yourself on the bigger picture. You can ask yourself, what's a fair assessment of the entire situation? What's the big picture here? How important is this one aspect to the big picture? And these questions will help you broaden in your perspective beyond being in that tunnel. If you tend to overgeneralize, you need to look more closely at the behaviors involved. You can ask yourself, is there a narrower explanation than the one I have assumed to be true? Is there a specific behavior that explains the situation? What does impugning my character or someone else's character do for me? Is it logical to indict me or another person's character and or worth as a human based on this specific event? That's right. Now, if you tend to magnify the bad and minimize the good, then you may want to strive for balance. So you can ask yourself, were there any good things that happened? Did I do anything well? Alternatively, if you tend to dismiss the negative, you can ask yourself, am I overlooking any problems? Were there any negative elements that I'm dismissing in the important stuff? So asking yourself, what was the good and what was the bad? Basically, it's doing equal airtime that we're huge advocates for always looking at when you talk about the bad make sure you're always talking about the good too. balance things out if you're personalizing things you need to learn to look outward ask yourself did anyone or anything else contribute to the situation how much of the problem is due to me and how much is due to others you can also ask am i making it all about me when it might be about someone else that's right. And then if you do the opposite, if you tend to externalize, then you need to start holding yourself accountable for some things and asking yourself, okay, what did I do to contribute to the situation? How much of the problem is due to others and how much is new to me? If you do find yourself externalizing, then the idea of taking 100% responsibility may be really helpful. A few episodes from now, we'll talk about that. If you tend to be a mind reader, then you need to learn to speak up and ask questions of other people. But first, you want to ask yourself, did I make my beliefs or feelings known directly and clearly? Did I convey all of the pertinent information? Am I expecting the other person to work hard at figuring out my goals or needs? And if you're someone who deals with emotional reasoning, you need to practice separating your feelings from the facts. So getting right back to one of the first things that we talked about on this podcast of separating facts from story. So ask yourself, have there been times when my feelings didn't accurately reflect the facts of the situation? And what questions must I ask to actually know the facts? So really teasing those things apart. If you tend to catastrophize, like we already mentioned, it can be helpful to go to the worst case, best case, most likely case scenario. It's also important to catch yourself when you're catastrophizing and tell your brain to stop and focus on what is rather than what if. You also want to separate yourself from your thoughts. I'm having the thought that dot 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 is a great way to be an observer of your thoughts. Staying in the moment can be really helpful when your mind wants to catastrophize. Yeah, I find that such a powerful statement. I'm having the thought and then adding on there. It really puts that distance and it reminds myself, okay, this is just a thought and I actually get to choose whatever thought. So I don't have to let my brain go crazy with 
this thought. So there are so many great, powerful questions and thoughts that you can have that will help your brain dealing with these thinking chops. And sometimes it is helpful to talk this through with somebody. This is something that we work on a lot with our clients. We help them identify what their thinking traps are, and we help them to find their way out of their thinking traps. Because as we said earlier, thinking traps will impact your mental health. It will impact your self-confidence and your self-esteem, and it will impact your relationships. So if you find yourself trapped in a thinking trap and you want to talk about it, then we offer free sessions. So you can head over to our website, which is hl-lifecoaching.com. And you can book a free mini session with us and we can share with you what you can do with some of those thinking traps. We would love to be able to connect with you. So that's what we have for you today, everybody. Have a wonderful week and we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Building Resilience Podcast. If you are interested in a little bit of weekly motivation, want to be kept in the know about upcoming free classes and resources, new podcast episodes, and other ways of working with us, please go subscribe to our weekly email. You can subscribe at www.hl-lifecoaching.com forward slash newsletter. Again, that's www.hl-lifecoaching.com forward slash newsletter. We'll see you again soon.